master or teacher came straight in the classroom. He didn't say any word to not to to not one student. He just went straight to the TV to turn it on. And as soon as he turned it on, the television projected two 757 jets flying straight into the Twin Towers. I remember that day. I remember that it was a sobering moment of silence in the classroom. I also remember the expression on my teacher's face because I was pondering on what was happening. I was trying to grasp the reality of what just happened as a 15-year-old boy. And I was pondering on why my teacher was looking that way. Honestly, at that time, I didn't understand the implications of what was happening, nor did I understood why 19 men would commit such an hideous crime against humanity. But what it did for me at that time, it helped me to realize that there are evil men and women who desire to do just terrible things to people. Men and women who desire to inflict terror into the hearts of people. When you hear the word terrorist, who or what comes to your mind? As we drive to work or take our kids to school, it is very prevalent that we hear on the radio of a terrorist attack happen. Sometimes we don't even flinch at the news anymore. Because it's to the point that we have become so desensitized to where we're not even understanding the implication worldwide. Hearing about Islamic terrorism that stems from groups like ISIS or Al-Qaeda or Boko Haram, they are, or many other terrorist groups, it, it's part within me to look up how many terrorist attacks happened for just last year. So what I did, I went on Wikipedia, because that's the uh, scholarly way to do it, right? I went on Wikipedia to just count and get in a, as, almost an exact amount of how many attacks that was contributed to terrorism and the deaths of terrorism. Listen, for the year of 2015, there was 200 or more terrorist attacks. And the deaths from those attacks was over 3,000 people. That amount alone is greater than the amount of people that have died in the Twin Towers. 
Beloved, terrorist attacks is it's not an event of the past or something that just happens in the Middle Eastern countries. And the reason I say it that way, because in America, we feel as if we are safe. We are in an American bubble. So we don't understand that these attacks afflict or it's important to us to understand that these attacks affects us as well. For example, last year of November, 130 people died from the Paris shooting and bombing. Last year, two couples attacked 14 or more people and killed 14 people in San Bernardino, California. Or very recently, January 8, 2016, a Philadelphia man ambushed a police officer at a traffic stop shot at the police officer at least 14 to 16 times. When the uh, Philadelphia Police Department asked, why did you do what you did? He said, I pledge allegiance to ISIS. I'm sure of those who watch the news concerning radical Islamic terrorists, of how you may be thinking. Some of the, some of you may be thinking, how should we respond to such crimes? How should we react to such things when we hear news of terrorism? It is my hope that I can bring some clarity to help us understand of how to respond to such evil. However, today, what we're going to do is just explore the meaning of jihad. By doing so, we will cover two points. One, what does jihad means? From an Islamic radical terrorist perspective. And taking the strictest meaning of that definition and applying it to a Christian perspective. When I just just by a show of hands, how many of you know what the meaning, what jihad means? Just by a show of hands. Only two people, or three. I consider Pastor Gus because he knows too. <laughs> when I gave uh, Columbus my sermon title, he looked and he said, The Christian Jihad. And Dwight, he started laughing. And I was curious to know, why are you laughing? He said, well, Jihad means terrorism. Beloved, jihad does not mean terrorism. 
jihad does have a negative connotation to that word, but it does not mean terrorism. And what I assume when uh, Dwight was laughing is that what an oxymoronic title to, to, to place as a sermon title. That's what I assume. We hear the word jihad in the media all the time. When we hear this word on the news, it carries, like I said, a negative connotation. But the clearest definition that I have found to this term means an inner struggle. An inner struggle. That is the clearest and strictest definition I have found. Now, for the Muslim, this inner struggle can take on different forms. It can take on the form of struggling against those who are attacking Islam, either by word or by sword. In other words, for them... It's a struggle where they have to defend the Islamic faith. And how they advance the Islamic faith can be by word, by speaking, or by literature, or it can be by sword. In other words, by weapon. Historically speaking, there were groups like the Karajites. The Karajites in Islam, who had the same modern-day radical Islamic ideology. These groups are long gone, but the tenets of their beliefs, in my opinion, still carries the Islamic faith to a certain degree. And what I mean by that, the Karajites... And the Wahhabis, their attack was not only attack against non-Muslims, but it was also an attack against those who didn't believe, well, again, attack against those who professed to be Muslims. But yet, if they didn't commit or submit to their way of thinking, they will execute them. That's why we see in the Middle Eastern part of the country where ISIS or Boko Haram, mainly ISIS, will attack other Muslims. And that always, I always ponder on that when I was, when I took an introductory uh, Islamic class. Why would a Muslim attack another Muslim? Well, To a certain degree, they are justified in what they are doing. Not biblically speaking, or in our culture, what we think is maybe justified, but according to the Quran or the Hadiths, the Hadiths are just a collection of sayings 
of what the Prophet Muhammad have did. So if you want to follow Prophet Muhammad closely, you would go to the Hadith. It's similar to if we want to get to know Jesus personally, we would go to the Gospels. But within the Quran, there are what we, well, what I would say, texts that justify their actions on what they're doing. Because, for example, what would cause Terrence McNeil, a black 25-year-old male of Akron, Ohio, to solicit and also to invoke violence against military vets. What would cause him to do such things? He was posted on his Facebook page by saying, Oh, brothers in America, know that the jihad against the crusaders is not limited to the land of the caliphate. It is a worldwide jihad. And their war, war is not just a war against the Islamic State. It's against a war. It's a war against Islam. Know that it is good for you to kill these unbelievers. Kill them in their own lands. Behead them in their own homes. And stab them to death as they walk their streets thinking that they are safe. What will cause a 25-year-old male, born and raised in America, raised in Akron, Ohio, to post that on his Facebook page? Well, one thing I would say, it's from the Quran itself. Chapter 9, verse 73 from the Quran, it says, O prophets, Strive hard against the unbelievers and the hypocrites. Also in the Quran, chapter 9, verse 5 says, Kill the unbelievers where you find them and capture them and besiege them and ambush them. I know we've been going through the uh, book of Revelation. And within the book of Revelation has some type of form of Christian eschatology, which means the end times. Within the Quran, they have their own eschatology, end times eschatology. So within the Hadiths, it says this. When speaking of the end times, this is how Muslims would know that the end times will come within the Hadiths of Salah, Muslim, says, fight against the Jews and you would kill them until even a stone would say, come here, Muslim. There is a Jew behind me. Kill him. Do you see how someone can be motivated to become an Islamic radical. Terrorists. Therefore, radical Islamic terrorist jihad is to struggle against those who do not believe in what they believe in. 
Their plan or action or is forcing you to believe in what they believe in or you will either be killed. This type, this type of mentality, either you convert or you die, is nothing new. And I'm not just trying to paint uh, the picture with a broad stroke of Islam of, it, of the Islamic faith in a just in the negative connotation, because a lot of Muslims are not like this. And the reason I'm saying this is because within the Crusades, for those who understand. Uh, the history of Christianity, that same type of mentality, convert of die, was the same motivation that the Pope and the Crusaders had. For, for those who made a vow, when they went on these four Crusades, was only a military coup and all in the name of Christ. See, it was a military coup because the Pope promised those who may avow to go on the Crusades that they will have their sins forgiven by God. The Crusades was not only a military advancement against the Muslims. It was a military advancement against non-believers as well. See, the difference is, when it comes to Islamic radical terrorism, they're doing it in the name of Allah, and the Crusaders did it all in the name of Christ. This the Crusaders' holy war was wrong. Muslims believe in the same religious thinking because if a Muslim die in a holy war, they believe that their sins will be forgiven as well. That's why you see a lot of people migrating from the Western world to go over to an Eastern part of the world to fight a jihad, because if they die in a war, they are believing that Allah will forgive them of their sins, and they will have an eternal eternity of bliss and paradise. The result of this type of interpretation, either you convert or die from the Quran provides radical Islamic Muslims to wreak havoc upon Christians. For example, ISIS tortured a 13-year-old boy in front of his father because they wanted to force this Eastern, uh, Eastern, Middle, Middle Eastern Christian to convert to Islam. So they wanted him to force, to denounce Christ And their beliefs, but the father didn't do it. He watched his son to be tortured. The father did not denounce Jesus Christ, so Isis murdered the 13-year-old boy and his father, along with two other missionary women. 
But this is this type of persecution is expected of Christians. This type of persecution is expected of Christians. We are expected to be persecuted. Romans chapter 8, verse 35 through 36 says, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution? As it is written for you, for your sake, we are killed all the day long as regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. To be slaughtered. Again, beloved, as Paul stated clearly in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12 through 13, he says, All who desire to live a godly life will be persecuted. While evil people and imposters will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. Let me uh, submit to you two ways to overcome such evil. To overcome evil people, which can be done. Throughout history, it has been done. Turn to Revelation chapter 12, verse 11. Throughout the history of Christendom, you know what I mean by that is Christianity, we found that whenever the church is persecuted, it grows. One of the fastest growing church in the world today is in China. They are having an underground church going to houses to houses to conduct their service, to be in fellowship with one another and also in the Lord. And they are also being persecuted by the government. Throughout history, history shows us whenever we are persecuted, it grows. Revelation chapter 12, verse 11, give us an understanding of how we are going to conquer this world and those who are following this world and Satan. Within Revelation chapter 12, this is when Satan chased the woman and her, children, and her child. But Satan was sooner, sooner or later defeated by the archangel. And thrown down to earth. So in verse 11, it says this. And they have conquered him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. For they love not their lives even until death. They love not their lives even unto death. Beloved, for those who are persecuted... They understand 
That if they are persecuted and if they are martyred in their faith, they know it's for a greater cause. I said, I've stated, what would allow a missionary father to look at his son to be tortured? Yet without denying Christ. Because that testimony alone speaks more about Christ than anything else. Often I wonder sometimes if someone comes in here seeking to do harm, how will we respond? In South Carolina, we understand that a young man went to a Bible study and murdered nine people. In North Carolina of last year, a man came in with an assault rifle inside the church. And the pastor asked him, can I help you? And the man responded, can you pray for me? My point is, beloved, is that. If something happens, how are we going to respond? How are we going to continue from such horrific tragedies? Well, this is how we going to respond. There's one way that we can respond. The directors of War Room highlighted the best way to respond. The best way to respond, and we respond in prayer. One of the key things when it comes to Ephesians chapter 6, when it talks about the armor of God, At the very end of that section, it highlights that one of our offensive ways to overcome is in prayer. Turn to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, after I read that text, I want you to drop down to verse 18. It says this, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over the present darkness. Against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Jump down to verse 18. I'm reading from the English Standard Version. It says in verse 18, Praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. In other words, beloved, our enemy is not a Muslim. Our enemy is not those who desire to persecute us. 
We do not wrestle. We do not want to wrestle against carnal things or fleshly things. We desire for God to intercede upon us because within prayer, that's where we do our most battle. As we all know that Satan is not a fleshly entity. He is a spirit. And for those who desire to offer up supplications to God the Father, he is interceding on our behalf. Christ is interceding on our behalf as well. So, as you can see behind me, what do you think the Christian jihad is? What do you think that is? If it means an inner struggle, what do you think the Christian jihad is? Beloved, the word jihad is not in the Bible. You will not find that word. But what we can do is take the meaning of the word and apply it to a Christian perspective. Let me ask you this question. What do you struggle with on a daily basis? Think about it. One of the things that we struggle with on a daily basis is sin. That is the most persistent evil thing that a Christian struggle with. We struggle with sin, with our own sin, with the sin of our neighbors and the sin of this world. Let me, if you turn to Romans, turn to Romans chapter 7, verse 15 through 20, because I think Paul said it correctly. He gave us a glimpse of our inner struggle. It says, for I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. Verse 18. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. Verse 19. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil. I do not want, what I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now if I do what I 
do not want. It is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. Our jihad, the inner struggle, is not with other people. It's with the enemies of God. And one of those enemies are and is Satan and sin. That's one aspect of the Christian jihad. The other aspect of the Christian jihad is love, beloved. It is love. We as Christians do not incite violence. The most persistent thing throughout the Bible we see in God's character is love. Our Lord Jesus Christ have highlighted this aspect of his character. Says, For example, our Lord says, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Paul quoted our Lord in Romans chapter 12, verse 14, saying, bless those who persecute you. The greatest commandment is from the Lord. And we and this commandment is what we ought to obey. For example, our Lord said, for those who love me, keep my commandment. Beloved, it is humanly impossible to love other people in the manner that Christ commands us to love them. Do you understand that? This unconditional love that comes from Christ enables us to love our enemies. So, the jihad, like I said, it's not in the Bible. But what I submit to you is what I think the greatest commandment, the greatest in the struggle that completes the law of the, of, of the Lord. It completes the Bible itself, which is the greatest commandment. The greatest commandment, which is this, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbors as yourself. So we have this vertical and horizontal love that transcends everything. Completing this commandment. It's completing the law of God. Completing this, obeying this commandment in your heart by striving to love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your mind and all your soul and also loving your neighbor is what transcends culture. It transcends the evilness in this world. It overcomes every single thing. 
Think about it. That love that comes down from God, it sweeps across the world. Because if we, if we strive for this type of perfection, as Paul said, that he is not perfect, but he's striving for it. If we strive for this commandment, we would not have the problems that we have with our wives. We would not have the problems that we have with our neighbors. We would not have the problems that we have with our co-workers, our teachers, our fellow students, our co Whatever the case may be, the problems will decease. So if we crystallize what I'm saying, what the Christian inner struggle is, it's mainly the greatest commandment, beloved. It is the greatest commandment. I think our Lord Jesus Christ showed us an example of what we shall do when he prayed in the in the garden of Gethsemane. Jesus Christ understood the greatest struggle that he had to face. Turn to Luke chapter 22 verse 41 through 42. This is the, the, the inner struggle that I have found in the Bible that our Lord had to face. It says in Luke chapter 22, verse 41 and 42 and 43. And he redrew from his disciples about a stone's throw. And knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if you are willing to remove this cup from me, if you are willing to remove this cup from me, nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Beloved, our Lord had to endure he had to really pray to God the Father. That inner struggle within him bothered him. I think if we think about the greatest commandments and how the Lord God responded to his son, for the purpose of sending him to the cross is this. Because the purpose for Christ dying upon the cross wasn't for the intent of someone being eternally damned. Also, it wasn't that God wanted to be revengeful upon mankind. One of the driving measures that nailed Christ to the cross was, it still is, God's eternal love. 
The ascension of God's eternal love sent Christ to the cross as an atonement of atoning payment for our sins. Beloved, you won't find this redeeming reality in any other religion other than Christianity. You would not find that the love that God the Father had for this have for this world. To send his only son on behalf of the world to crucify him for us. It was an extension of his love. We know the the Sunday answer of John 3.16. For God so loved the world. He gave his only begotten son. In any other religion that is out there, you will not find this redeeming reality of love that saved sinners from their sin. You would not find this in Islam. You would not find this in Buddhism. You would not find this in Hinduism. You would not find this in Confucianism. You would not find that in any other religion. So our inner struggle is not a struggle against other people. Our struggle is with sin. But what enables us to deal with our own sin and the sin of others and the enemies of God is the greatest commandment. Let us pray. Father, I pray that our inner struggle will be made known to other people. That as we go out of this place, we will obey the greatest commandment. That we will love other people and look at them not as our enemies, and look at and not to look at them as if we want to do harm to them. But we will look at them as a broken individual who does, who needs your son. Who needs the redeeming reality of your love through your son Jesus Christ. Cuz we know one of the characters that you possess one of your attributes is that you are love. And for those who are in you, we love others because that extension of your love comes to us through grace and faith. So, Lord, I pray for every single person that is here, that they will do what you commanded them to do, which is the greatest commandment, because that fulfills your law in Christ Jesus. Bless your people, Lord, to know that other people are not their enemies.
and as we pray in this. I pray this in your son's name, Jesus Christ. Amen. If you do not know the Lord, I pray that you do not leave this place until speaking to an elder, myself, Pastor Gus. Or if you do know the Lord, but you feel as if your heart and your soul is in a spiritual dryness. I still ask you to stick around. Let us not to be complacent within in our faith. Amen.